0: And please help me welcome our speaker this morning, Pastor Allison. Good morning, everyone. Um, As Mike said, my name is Allison and I'm the executive pastor here at the River. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Um, Before I dive into today's sermon, I also just wanted to bring your attention to on your connection card, you'll see on the back um, that it mentions that next week we're kicking off something here at the river we call 40 Days of Faith. That's the name that we give here to the Lent season, and it's usually a very special time. Um, So we have a lot of things planned. We will have a devotional guide available to you um, we'll have some prayer beads and bracelets that you can make starting next Sunday uh, we'll have a new sermon series kicking off and some special prayer times so keep an eye on your email inbox um, and we'll be sending you more information about that in the next week all right so for the past month uh, we've been in a sermon series called the gospel reimagined I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed this series. Personally, I've found it really refreshing to consider the meaning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus from new angles and perspectives. Today, we're going to wrap up this series by taking a look at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus in the book of Luke. If you've been around church for a while, you may be familiar with this story. Most tellings of the story go something like this. One day, Jesus was passing through the city of Jericho. In Jericho, there lived a rich man named Zacchaeus who worked as a tax collector. Zacchaeus really wanted to get a look at Jesus, but there was a problem. Zacchaeus was a short man and Jesus was surrounded by crowds. Zacchaeus could not see through the people in the crowds, so he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to get a better view. When Jesus walked near the tree, Jesus looked up and saw Zacchaeus. Jesus called out to Zacchaeus saying, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus hurried down the tree and was happy to welcome Jesus into his home but others in the city felt differently. They began to grumble about Jesus choosing to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus heard them and promised Jesus that he would give half his wealth to the poor and would pay back anyone he had cheated. And then the story ends with Jesus celebrating Zacchaeus' change of heart, his decision to repent and turn away from sin. This is the story as it's often told. But is that really what happened? Let's take a look at the text together. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. The initial details are the same. Jesus in Jericho, Zacchaeus the rich tax collector who wanted to get a look. But then things get interesting with the third verse. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. When you dive into the meanings of the words and the grammatical structure used in this verse, there are a number of ways we can read this sentence. Let's start with the assumption that the phrase small in stature does mean short in height. Starting there, with the way that this sentence is structured, there are two ways it can be read. Let's take a look at them. The first goes like this. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, Zacchaeus could not because Zacchaeus was small in stature. And here's the second option. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, Zacchaeus could not because Jesus was small in stature. Do you see the difference there? In the first option, Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus through the crowd because he, Zacchaeus, was the short one. In the second option, Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus through the crowd because Jesus was the short one. The placement of the word he in this verse is somewhat ambiguous, making it unclear who the phrase small in stature is actually referring to. Interesting, right? So that was assuming small in stature was referring to physical height. But what if the phrase actually has nothing to do with height? The Greek word, helikia, translated here as stature, can be used to refer to physical height, but it can also be used to refer to age, maturity, or social standing. What if Zacchaeus was relegated to the back of the crowd and had a bad view not because he was short but instead because he was young or because he had low social status as a tax collector now does it really matter why Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus through the crowd on a certain level no it is by no means the most important part of the passage but i still think it is worth paying attention to Prior to doing research for this sermon, every time I encountered this story, I heard that Zacchaeus was a short man. I never had any reason to suspect that there were other interpretive possibilities, and so I accepted it as fact. This narrative is so deeply rooted that I discovered there's even a kid's worship song called Zacchaeus was a wee little man. (laughs) (laughs) Now, (laughs) Zacchaeus's height might not be that important in the grand scheme of things, but it is worth noticing how easily we fall into ingrained patterns of thinking. It is worth noticing the stories that we have inherited and paying attention to those that we choose to pass along. And it is worth wondering about the invisible assumptions that we carry around with us about God, the world, and about the people around us. So now let's get back to the story. For whatever reason, Zacchaeus had trouble viewing Jesus through the crowd. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus in the tree, he called him down and asked to be a guest at his home. Zacchaeus was happy to welcome Jesus but people in the town began to grumble. So what was this grumbling about? Why did the people consider Zacchaeus to be a sinner? The only things we know about Zacchaeus, aside from speculation about his height, were that he was rich and that he was a chief tax collector. The context around tax collectors during the time of Jesus was very interesting. The Roman Empire used a system called tax farming. Every few years, Rome would put the right to collect taxes up for auction. Rich individuals would bid the amount they thought they could reasonably collect from their local region. Figuring out what to bid was tricky. Too low, and they might lose the bid. Too high, and they would personally be on the hook for any difference they were unable to collect. The Roman tax farming system was rife with corruption. It was common for tax collectors to overcharge and pocket the surplus for themselves. And so it's no wonder that Jewish tax collectors viewed as greedy, corrupt traders, were hated by their fellow Jews. To make things even worse, Because tax collectors often interacted with Gentile officials, they were often suspected of violating Jewish purity laws. On the part of the Romans though, this system was ingenious. The use of local representatives meant that Rome did not have to handle the logistics of tax collection themselves. Even better, these local representatives knew where people lived. They knew where people worked and they knew how much they could be squeezed. This system turned indigenous populations against each other, thus distracting and weakening them, a trademark tool of oppression. This is the lens through which the people of Jericho viewed Zacchaeus. No wonder they objected to Jesus spending time with him. The next part of the story, verse eight, is where things get really interesting. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. So in most tellings of the story, this is the point where interpreters say, Zacchaeus had a miraculous change of heart. He underwent some kind of conversion experience, a dramatic turning away from sin. He went from being a corrupt colluder with Roman oppression to being an honest, generous member of the community who was willing to take steps to repair the harm he had caused. What's interesting is that nobody can ever really explain why this transformation took place. Did Zacchaeus have some kind of reckoning with the way he was viewed by his neighbors? Did Jesus say something to him that helped him see things differently? Was the experience of being seen and accepted by Jesus so healing to his heart and soul that he wanted to change his ways? The passage doesn't say. And it is possible that Zacchaeus experienced this kind of radical conversion but there's also another way to interpret this passage many bible translations including the one i've been using today the new revised standard version updated edition translate verse 8 using the future tense let's read the verse again zacchaeus stood there and said to the lord look half of my possessions lord i will give to the poor And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. See the future tense there? I will give to the poor. I will pay back. Rendered this way, Zacchaeus is talking about something he will do going forward in the future. Interestingly, in the original Greek, the verbs in this verse are not written in the future tense. They're actually written in the present tense. And if we make this change in the English translation, it has the potential to really change how we understand what's happening in this passage. Let's take a look at this verse with the tense change. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, "'Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I pay back four times as much. I will give to the poor becomes i give to the poor i will pay back becomes i pay back instead of talking about something different he will do in the future rendered this way Zacchaeus is talking about something he's already doing but wait a second Zacchaeus was a tax collector he was greedy and corrupt He wasn't someone who regularly gave half his wealth to the poor and took steps to repair financial mistakes. But what if he was? That would significantly change how we understand what's happening between Zacchaeus and Jesus. If Zacchaeus was already doing these things, then he didn't undergo some kind of dramatic conversion through his encounter with Jesus. Instead, Zacchaeus was defending himself against the grumbling of the crowd. He was saying to Jesus something like, look, you hear what they say about me, the assumptions they make about me because I'm a tax collector, but I'm already doing everything I can to be honest and generous. I give half my wealth to the poor, and if anyone can show me that I've cheated them, I pay them back fourfold. Perhaps Zacchaeus was following the teachings of John the Baptist. Earlier in the book of Luke, when people came to be baptized by John, they asked what they should do to bear good fruit. John the Baptist instructed all of them to be generous with their surplus resources. And to the tax collectors who came to be baptized, he gave a specific instruction, He said, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Perhaps Zacchaeus heard these teachings, took them to heart and put them into practice. Or maybe Zacchaeus was always an honest and generous person. The passage does not share any information about Zacchaeus's past, but it's interesting to consider Why would someone in that context choose to become a tax collector, knowing they would be hated by their community? What kind of extenuating circumstances might have led to that decision? Was greed always the motivating factor? Beyond the verb tense, there is another clue in the text that Zacchaeus was an honest man names in the bible are often significant giving us insight into a person's identity or purpose and the name Zacchaeus means pure or innocent interesting right a pure and innocent tax collector of course it's possible that Zacchaeus's name was given ironically But what if it was a genuine insight into Zacchaeus' character? How would that impact how we understand the final verse in the passage? Verses nine and 10 say, then Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. If we view this story, as one of radical conversion, then Jesus' word about salvation seem tied to Zacchaeus' change of heart. Zacchaeus was lost, Jesus sought him out, and then Zacchaeus was saved. How do we know that salvation came to Zacchaeus' house? Well, because we see his changed behavior. With this understanding, to be lost means to be in sin. And to be found means to move towards righteousness. To put it another way, the fruit of salvation in this framework is movement away from sin and towards righteous action. But what if we do not view this story as one of radical conversion? What if Zacchaeus was already a righteous man when he encountered Jesus? Then what kind of salvation was Jesus bringing And how was Jesus seeking and saving the lost? The theme of the lost is one we see throughout the book of Luke. It's woven throughout the gospel, but we see it prominently addressed in the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost or prodigal son. Jesus told these parables in response to religious leaders grumbling about his decision to eat with tax collectors and sinners. The very same type of grumbling we see in response to his decision to visit with Zacchaeus. And so they feel like particularly relevant teachings for our understanding of today's passage. There are many interesting things about these parables, and unfortunately, we don't have time to dive into all of them today, but I will make a few quick points. One thing that stands out to me is the idea that in all three of the parables, the state of being lost is less about a moral failure and more about the state of separation or disconnection. The sheep is separated from its flock. The coin is separated from its owner. And the son is separated from his family. We tend to automatically define the state of being lost as one of being misguided or sinful, a moral failure. But what if it's a more neutral category? It doesn't really make sense to blame a coin for being separated from its owner. Coins don't lose themselves. Nor does it make much sense to blame a sheep for being separated from its flock. If shepherds aren't paying close attention, it is easy for sheep to get lost. It's what sheep do. And there are all kinds of interesting evolutionary reasons I could share with you about why this is the case, mainly to do with survival and self-protection. Sheep don't get lost because they are failing in some way at being good sheep. And coins don't get lost for failing to be good coins. So why, when it comes to people, do we automatically assume that they are lost because they have sinned? After all, there are all kinds of reasons that separation and disconnection can happen. If the state of being lost is about separation and disconnection, then the remedy, the salvation, is healthy, life-giving connection. Connection that is based on truly seeing people for who they are in all of their complexity. Connection that honors the self and others equally. Another pattern that stands out to me is the role of the owner, the God figure in each parable when it comes to restoring this kind of connection. The sheep did not become a reformed sheep and miraculously find its way back to the flock. No, the shepherd went out into the wilderness, picked up the lost sheep and carried it back to the flock. Similarly, the woman scoured her house until she found the coin. And even with the lost son, the father ran to him when he was still a long way off. The good news of God is that no matter who we are, we belong in God's kingdom. And that God is always working together with us to bring about this reality in our world today. God is always seeking the lost, the separated, and always hoping to heal and restore and connect. That is what I believe Jesus was attempting to do with Zacchaeus. Perhaps when Jesus was talking about salvation coming to Zacchaeus' home, he was actually talking about himself, his own physical presence, not some abstract spiritual concept. When we replace the word salvation with the word Jesus in the text, it reads, Today, I, Jesus, have come to this house because Zacchaeus too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Read this way, Jesus was responding to the grumbling of the crowd. He was explaining to them why he would choose to spend time at the home of a tax collector, someone typically excluded from community life. Jesus would do so because Zacchaeus, too, was a son of Abraham. Not because Zacchaeus was morally upstanding, though he may have been, but because Zacchaeus was a child of God. And for that reason, he was worthy of inclusion. By treating the lost, like Zacchaeus, with dignity and respect, by fully including them, even when others wouldn't, Jesus sought to help restore them to communal life, to return them to the flock. Now, of course, the practicalities of breaking down walls of hostility, and healing divisions are incredibly nuanced and complicated, especially when there has been significant harm. These passages do not provide us with simple formulas or quick fixes that we are meant to adopt, but they do remind us of some important truths like unconditional love is perpetually seeking after each of us without exception. Unconditional love encourages us to move beyond assumptions and to consider each other with greater curiosity and nuance. Unconditional love always seeks to heal and restore and connect. These passages also help to expand our view of salvation. What if the fruit of salvation is not just movement away from sin and toward righteous action, but also deeper and healthier connections to God, self, and others? What if salvation is not only concerned with individual transformation and growth, but also encompasses the renewal of entire communities and systems? After all, Zacchaeus did not exist in a vacuum, and neither do we. To end today, I'd like to share a beautiful image from the book of Ezekiel. God is described as a good shepherd, seeking out his lost sheep and caring for them tenderly. In this case, it was not just one sheep that was lost, but many. So as the worship team comes back to the stage, I'll read this passage to us and close with a prayer. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will sort them out. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains by the water courses. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strays and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. I pray that we would experience God as a good shepherd, that we would know that we are not bad sheep even when we are lost. May we experience life-giving connection to self, others, and God. May we have all we need to survive and thrive and be generous. In places of hurt, may there be comfort, and in places of harm, repair. May we know how deeply loved we are and find safe places to rest and be restored. Amen.